Hello, and welcome to the Breaking Up With Anxiety podcast. I am your host, the anxiety nutritionist, gut and hormonal health expert, yoga and meditation teacher, and cat mom, Taylor Jandro. And this podcast is designed to show you how to relieve and resolve your chronic anxiety through the powerful combination of food, lifestyle changes, targeted supplementation, gut and hormonal health optimization, nervous system regulation, yoga, meditation, mindset, lifestyle coaching, and more. And today, I asked my colleague, Dr. Katie Rose, to come on to talk about the fertility anxiety connection. Katie is a licensed naturopathic physician and fertility coach who has helped hundreds overcome infertility. Her unique three-step method to support the body, mind, and spirit has allowed her clients to conceive despite years of unexplained infertility, failed IVF treatments, PCOS, Hashimoto's, endometriosis, and recurring pregnancy losses. If you are trying to get pregnant now, or it's something you are considering in the future, this episode is for you. Katie, hi, Hi, welcome. (laughs) Welcome to the Breaking Up With Anxiety podcast. I'm so excited you're here. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. I'm so excited for this conversation because as you know, but just to give the people listening in some context, I reached out to you asking you to come on and talk about this diagnosis of unexplained infertility, which people can't see me, but I'm doing air quotes. And it just irks me so much because I have several clients, I have friends, I have other people in my life who are struggling to conceive. And especially with my clients, when I do their intake and their like onboarding call and I learn how little testing the doctors really did before kind of slapping them with this unexplained infertility label, quite frankly, it just pisses me off. And even those who are, and we'll get into the meat of this, but even those who are trying to do IVF, like the body needs to be supported. It needs to feel safe. And I know this is a conversation that's not being had when the women in my life that I know undergo these treatments. And I also know that there are a lot of overlapping causes between people who struggle to get pregnant and people who struggle with anxiety, which is exactly what I want to talk about today. So I wanted to bring you on as someone I really respect and consider an expert in this space to talk about the fertility piece. And when you mentioned something that overlapped with anxiety, I will point that out. <laughs> oh, well, I think there's going to be a lot. So <laughs> It's going to be a lot because I'm pretty sure almost everything you're going to say is going to overlap, but let's see. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and then we'll just dive right into it. Sure. So I'm a licensed naturopathic physician. I practice in Arizona and also have um, fertility coaching available for people who live out of the state or outside the country. And I was drawn to naturopathic medicine because it is a holistic way of approaching the body. I had been on the track for medical school like basically my entire life. And when I started getting sick in college and just running the gamut of specialists and spending far too much time at my primary care doctor's office, eventually someone brought up that I should see a naturopath. And when I did, it was so eye-opening because no one had ever asked me before about my stress or what I was eating or how much sleep I was getting. And it was like, oh, damn, like these all matter. And, you know, for a 21-year-old, like you 
kind of feel like you can just get away with anything, but clearly my body was speaking to me and we needed to listen differently. And what drew me to fertility when I was in medical school was I decided to come off birth control because I just, I intuitively felt that it was not helping me, um, even though obviously it contraception was something I wanted in medical school, but I just felt like, gosh, this, like, there's something about this, like the way that I was placed on birth control to decrease my acne and quote unquote, regulate my cycles. Like this just isn't resonating with me anymore. And when I came off birth control, I didn't get a period for six months. And then, you know, it would be every three to six months after that. I was like, this isn't normal. And I started to feel really anxious about what that meant for my fertility because you have to ovulate in order to conceive. So when I brought that up with my OBGYN, her response was, well, if you don't want babies right now, I don't understand why it doesn't bother you. Like, why don't you just go back on birth control? (laughs) That's like exactly what I'm trying to get away from. So I thankfully had great mentors in medical school and was able to get the lab testing that I needed to find out I had PCOS and hypothyroid and figure out what were those root causes for me. And those root causes also have a lot of overlap with what I see in practice here now. I mean, that was 14 years ago that I dealt with that, been in practice for 10 years. And I see this diagnosis of unexplained infertility quite a bit. It's about 50% of the people who are coming to me with infertility. And I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I might piss some people off, but I just don't, I don't vibe with this diagnosis, with this label of unexplained. I'm so glad you said that because that is something that I want to say. And I've said out loud to people that I'm close with and people I feel comfortable with, but you know, I'm the anxiety nutritionist. Like, what do I know about fertility? Blah, blah, blah. This is just the base knowledge that I do know. I'm like, I just don't, I don't believe it. I don't believe that that's a thing. I think it's lazy medicine. And so I'm just really glad that somebody who this is what you do and you've been doing for 10 years, you're saying kind of the same thing. So what's going on here? Well, there could be a lot of things. And of course, this is why we need to treat people as individuals and get a really good assessment. So, you know, I have what I consider to be like this three-step process that I use both with my patients, but also with my clients and in my group programs of our assessment needs to be looking at these unseen fertility blocks. So some of these things we can investigate via testing. So doing blood work, doing some alternative functional medicine testing, So looking for inflammation and blood sugar issues, insulin resistance, thyroid problems, gut health issues, stress, and then the most invisible one in the sense that we can't really see on a diagnostic test, but emotional blocks are huge. So uh, you're you're nodding and I'm like, yeah, I know. Everything, (laughs) yeah. All of those influence anxiety. And I just want to make it very clear that – just because if you have these, if you have inflammation, if you have something going on with your thyroid, something going on with your gut, and you have anxiety, that doesn't mean you're also going to struggle with fertility. Because 
we have yes, root cause, like somebody can have the same quote unquote root cause. And I, I'm even trying to move away from saying root cause because it's never just one thing. It's yeah. multiple things, but I could have inflammation and you can have inflammation and our symptoms could present differently. You could have acne and I don't have acne. I can have anxiety. You don't have anxiety. Yep. I can get pregnant maybe like right away or, you know, like, so just because for people who are listening in who have anxiety, you know, I don't want you thinking like, oh my gosh, there's all these overlapping root causes. Does that mean I'm not fertile? That's not what we're saying. There's just a lot of overlap. I'm really glad you are bringing that up because a lot of what I see in the emotional block picture is, you know, someone who maybe when they were in their early 20s, this is an example of someone I very recently met. Um, She's in her early 40s now, but she was in her 20s. She had a boss who struggled with infertility. And that created a lot of anxiety for her that like, oh my gosh, this this is a thing. And what if this happens for me? And so we need to be clear that I think it's a great idea to be proactive about your health in general, but just because you have stress does not mean you will have infertility. I think we just need to have this idea that this is holistic. Everyone Mm -hmm. has their unique presentation and their unique needs. Exactly. A really good, I'm so visual. So storytelling and analogies really help, helps me a lot. And I think it's helpful when people are listening to a podcast because there's no visuals, but you mentioned acne and I had acne as well. Mm, Um, Yeah. Like cystic chronic it was why I was put on the birth control pill and I was told well your dad had acne so that's why you have acne like as if it's genetic (laughs) and you know not other things going on and so then when I too came off the birth control pill I was on it for 10 years at 27 I broke out again and I was mortified I would call in sick to work it was so embarrassing I was had just started dating my now partner of five years and I would wake up in the morning and like put makeup on when I was sleeping over and like go back to bed and be like (laughs) I woke up like this like I would like cry to him like I thought I was like so ugly and he would literally be like I don't see it like it's not that bad because they don't see what we see but anyway a really good example of this is a huge inflammatory factor for me with my skin was my diet. And there's other components, but, you know, massively reducing dairy and switching up the quality of dairy and massively reducing gluten really, really helped. And then I have friends who eat like so much gluten, so much dairy, and their skin is beautiful. (laughs) So they have other stuff going on, you know, that I can see that I'm like, oh, that's that's a symptom of inflammation. But we both ate the same and I would break out like crazy and they wouldn't. And so it's the same thing with everything that we're going to be talking about today. There's so much overlap between, you know, are we even calling it infertility? What are we calling it? I, I really don't love that label. I don't want to call it that. I, I don't want people to over-identify with that. Mm-hmm. I think it's maybe a sub-fertile state and and if we can understand what I call it, the reproductive safety arc and like how, how do we view the ways in which this body feels unsafe and where do we need to support it physically, emotionally, and spiritually, that's going to look different for everyone. And so I, I realize that some people may do better with a label initially because it might spur them into action. Um, however, I personally don't love that. <laughs> I don't, I don't love the word infertility. 
because I, I love subfertile. Subfertile. I like yeah. that a lot. Yeah, because it it really changes the energy behind that. It opens up some possibilities and goes, okay, well, I haven't gotten pregnant yet, and now I can open myself up to what are some other options? What are some different approaches with this? It creates curiosity. It creates wonder. And anytime we can come at a situation from a place of curiosity, we're also going to reduce the anxiety around it. Mm -hmm. So good. Okay. Tell us about this arc. So it, it's a way of really just, you know, if we think of like an arc being this rainbow and rainbows, of course, are so symbolic for the fertility community, but it's just this encompassing of the physical, emotional, and spiritual safety. Sorry, my dog is like scratching herself. In the oh, that's okay. My cats are in bed with me. I do my recordings in my bedroom and they're sleeping, but they might wake up and start making noise. So I love when pets come on screen. <laughs> My my desk is too high for her to reach, but yeah, she's she's Aww. right here. Um, so the reproductive safety arch just encompasses all of those factors and recognizes that you are whole already. You are perfect already. We have to find out what your needs are to feel safe, so that your body can feel safe conceiving. Because when we do have this, you know, unexplained, like I will. I don't know that I've ever had a situation in practice where I literally could be like, yeah, I don't, I just, I have no idea what any mm -hmm. of this could possibly be caused by. There's, there's always something. And, you know, even if someone's labs truly do look perfect, but you know, I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen like a perfect GI panel, <laughs> like no, a perfect, or perfect GI perfect blood or, work. I never yeah, have perfect blood work. I take it every six months and there's always a marker that I'm like, okay, like that can, we can work on that, you know? Yeah. And, it, and, it, and nothing has to be perfect. I want to be no. clear about that too. Like there, there is not a requirement for perfection, but we have to identify what is it that this person needs to feel safe. And that's going to look different for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, I love that you said that you have yet in your 10 years of practice to look at a case and be stumped by it. Cause I, an episode that I filmed a few days ago, I said the same thing, you know, cause I get a lot of uh, DMS and I speak with so many women in my community who are just like, I'm a really complicated case. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, who told you that? Like your doctor, give me your intake forms. <laughs> like you're not. And I just hate that. That's like the messaging. Yeah. I can't even tell you how many women are like, well, my case is really complicated. I'm a really complicated case. And I understand why they feel that way because they've been told that or they've gone to doctor to doctor to therapist to therapist and they can't seem to, in my case, kick this anxiety in your case with the fertility journey. And then I have also yet to read an intake form and be like, oh, I have no idea. Like I have yet to be stumped. Like I've definitely read forms and been like, okay, yeah, this person has done so much, but not, not once have I read anything and been like, oh, they've done there's nothing that can be done here. Yep. Never. Yeah, and I just and honestly don't think that's even possible. Like knowing what I know about the human body and how it works, I just don't even know if that's possible. I mean, maybe, but I don't know. No. And I don't think either one of us is coming at that from a place of cockiness. It's just mm -mm. when, when you can look at a person holistically, there's, there's always a, a different approach. There's always a different way to support something. There's always a different way to ask questions. 
And I agree with you that when someone comes in saying like, I've already tried everything and I just, I don't, I don't even think that something will work for me. It's like, well, that right there, that's a belief we have to change right there. We start right there. <laughs> okay. How do you help people do this? Cause I know you do like emotional freedom technique and stuff, yeah. which I love as a tool. And I encourage my women to give it like a, a true try. I'm like three times a week for at least four weeks. Don't just try it once and tell me yeah. you don't like it and it didn't work. But I just did a post on this today where I said, if you come into this, like you take a workshop of mine or you come into working with me or whatever, you come onto my page and you tell yourself this won't work for me, it won't. Yep. So how do you help them shift their mindset? Well, first I like to understand how someone learns. So if they already know a little bit about their learning style, that may help me give them better tools. And, you know, there's, there's obviously many different tools that we could use visualization, guided meditations, hypnotherapy, EFT, um, story writing and journaling, um, just talking out loud, like painting a picture of like, what could this look like if it were different? Can you find a way to imagine what it would look like to have overcome this? Who would you be if you overcame this? Like, like if absolutely nothing bad could happen, what would you want for yourself? Nothing bad can happen to you. It's not going to, like, imagine that money is no object. Like, just what does it look like? How do you want to feel? And if we can just start with, like, well, how would you like to feel? Not even, like, obviously the people coming to me are, like, their greatest desire is to have a baby. So I know what they want. How do you want to feel? Do you feel that way right now? Would you like to feel differently? How can we help you get there? It's baby steps most of the time. But a A lot of the times people have huge aha moments within the first few weeks. And by the end of a few months, there's a huge transformation in their mindset. I love that. It's like bringing this concept. It is bringing the concept of manifestation into the health space. Yeah. Right? Where what do you want? How do you want to feel? Who do you want to be? What do you envision your life to be? And then you're obviously not there right now. It's not, that's not the point is to just overnight jump there. But what are some little tiny things that you can start doing right now in your day to capture that feeling? And that's the essence behind like, are you, you're, I'm assuming you're into like manifestation. You're into the I woo. am. I'm, car- yeah. I'm, I'm very into the woo. I'm careful about how I approach it because I think that there's some, um, you know, like, there are some of the practices of manifestation that I think come from a place of privilege that I want to acknowledge, like not everyone has that privilege. 100%. So I think if, if we can make it a more palatable and, and approachable experience, um, people are more likely to give these steps a try without them having to be like, oh my gosh, like I just have to surrender all of my my desire for this like there's there's baby steps and it really does start with how you feel and how you want to feel and I agree with that completely and if you hadn't have said that I was going to add that caveat that like I do recognize that a lot of the manifestation teachers and practices come from a place of privilege but if we're talking about just what we're talking about where it's literally just working with the mind and visualizing anybody could do that right anyone can do it okay so what are the some of the big 
you know, causative factors, root causes, you know, what are, do you have another word for that? I always like asking other health professionals, like, what do you say instead of root causes? So uh, in our assessment, we, we call them like the unseen or the invisible blocks. Oh, I like that. Around their fertility and what their belief systems are about themselves, about their journey, about the possibilities that are open to them. And then as far as understanding like the, their body chemistry and their physiology, um, there's such an interplay between of course, like blood sugar and inflammation and how that impacts hormones. So when, comes, some, when someone comes in and they're like, oh, I have such a bad hormone imbalance. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? Like, like maybe they've been slapped on progesterone and that's an, an okay band-aid. It's safe, but like that doesn't really explain like why they weren't making enough progesterone or why they had estrogen dominance. So blood sugar dysregulation definitely comes to mind as such a huge thing that I see in um, women of reproductive age. And, and what does that mean? So it means they're not getting nutrient density. They're often not getting enough protein. And, you know, there might be some things at the root of that, that also from their belief systems, like their own sense of self-worth that like, are you worthy of sitting down and just like enjoying a whole meal to yourself? Or do you feel like you always have to be rushing around? That's why you're skipping meals. Like, like it's not just like one thing, but I know I've, I see your posts on like, um, you know, what you eat in a day sometimes. And I love it because I'm like, yeah, that's like, that's fuel right there. But, um, I think this blood sugar piece really has to be looked at differently and tested differently than most people are just getting this flat, like fasting glucose and call it a day. Like we have to look more deeply there to understand how the body is processing blood sugar, what the insulin response is. And if there is insulin resistance, that tends to create an inflammatory state. People with PCOS will produce more testosterone in a state of insulin resistance. That will prevent ovulation. So there's there's a lot there I could go on about for a while. So I'll pause and let you ask any questions around it. <laughs> well, I just wanted to actually make note of that I'm actually seeing a lot of blood work and from clients where the doctors aren't even running fasting glucose at mm -hmm. all. Like, oh. And I don't know if this is a Canadian versus American thing. Like in the States, you can buy your own blood work. Yeah. You can just pay, you know, order online. I get my American clients to do it. In Canada, we can't. You have to go through a medical doctor or a naturopathic doctor. And then if you go through a naturopathic doctor, you're still paying. I, I just don't know why I can't just order my own blood work. But anyway, that's a whole other story. But on my blood work, it was showing up as insulin resistant a few months ago. And um, I work with a naturopath to get my blood work because my medical doctor will not run the comprehensive panel that I want him to run. And, you know, she was saying, I, I was saying to her, she's like, I wonder if there's a genetic component, you know, because mm -hmm. your diet is good, your lifestyle is good. Like, why would you have this? And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, maybe, you know, like, maybe, although genetics is like 10% of the picture, I'm never one to just blame my genetics and I was like, okay, yeah, maybe. And then a few months later, I went into burnout. And I was like, oh, that's why those markers were high. <laughs> yeah. Right? So there's always more to the story. And sometimes it really takes time 
for that unstory to fold the story to unfold and that's what I wanted to point out when you were saying that that's what I was thinking of like even me with my background in education and understanding it still took me like four five six months for the full picture of like why were those numbers off to come to play and then I realized oh I have massively overcommitted myself in my professional life (laughs) classic and that's really common and I'm I'm sure with the overlap of you know your audience and learning about anxiety and my audience with fertility issues um there is often an overcommitment there's like and this is like just generalized of course this isn't all of you but I seem to attract and it probably is just like it takes one to know one situation like I seem <laughs> to attract type A personalities people who are used to doing they're used to doing the homework and getting the A plus and when it comes to fertility they're like I don't understand I am doing everything and so even if they weren't an anxious person coming into this picture just being given a diagnosis of infertility and having a situation in which their body didn't work the way they expected to creates anxiety. And then eventually, like if the treatments that they're trying aren't working, they end up in a state of burnout. And like, then we're in this vicious cycle where that could at that point also be affecting your fertility. Mm -hmm. And I can't even imagine as somebody who lived with an anxiety disorder and panic disorder, I know, I mean, we all say mean things to ourselves in our head. Like all of us have that inner critic, whether you have anxiety or not. But, and then when you have anxiety, it's just like, you're so mean to yourself. And so, you know, I don't have children. I actually don't know if children are part of my future. I haven't like written it off, but I, you know, so I'm never going to be able to fully like understand what it's like for women to who, that they want a baby more than anything, you know? But I can only imagine the inner critic and the self-talk when essentially this is what women bodies are for. I mean, we're for many, many other things, but, you know, women women's bodies are built to bring life into yeah. the world. And so when we can't, because, and it's not a personal failure, but I'm sure it feels like a feels personal like failure. It feels like it. Oh, big yeah. time. Yeah, I, I mean, I think a, and a big red flag for me when we're potentially supporting and clearing the emotional blocks is asking those questions about how do you talk to your body? What are your thoughts about your body? And, it, you know, common phrases that I hear, like, well, my body is broken. Like, I can't imagine trusting my body. I can't imagine, like, truly having unconditional love for myself in this scenario and you know when you hear that and you hear yourself saying it it's like you know like gosh I wouldn't say this to my best friend but how can I actually make the shifts to have this happen how can I let my how can I open my heart back up again to myself and that's That's where powerful that's where you know we make some really good headway in our style of approaching this is there's a lot of self-compassion work, a lot of self-forgiveness, a lot of, you know, forgiveness of society for putting this, you know, onus of pressure and perfection on us. And yeah, I, I think that kind of sums up a lot of like where we. For sure. And even in the PCOS profile picture, because I know that the messaging that a lot of women are getting from their doctors is just lose weight. 
Like just oh, yeah. lose weight. Just eat like, less, exercise more. Yeah. Mm. And so no, thanks. Thanks tips. It's <laughs> <That is laughs> terrible advice. And again, you know, weight gain or weight loss, that's a symptom. So what's going on in the body? Dysregulated blood sugar, inflammation, gut health. Like these are all key factors to anxiety, to fertility, to weight loss, to all these different things. Can you just quickly speak to the lifestyle factors that influence blood sugar regulation? Because it's something I get from my women a lot. They're like, I eat well, like my blood sugar is fine. But meanwhile, they're like not sleeping. Yeah, well, sleep is exactly the first thing that came to mind. Because we know that women who got less than six hours of sleep per night immediately like wake up with higher insulin next day their insulin resistance pattern will change even within one day of getting poor sleep so add that up over time it starts to accumulate and i have so many people who you know say like i'm sleeping great but i say well what does that mean how many hours are you getting how long does it take you to fall asleep do you wake up in the middle of the night at 3 a.m and you can't go back to sleep gosh how common is that pattern and in oh, total, everyone I work with <laughs> in total, they're Most getting, of them. yeah, they're getting yeah. like six hours of sleep a night, but they think it's okay because they're functional. They're going to work, they're getting their job done, they're working out and they, they think that they're performing well, um, but we absolutely see that picture change so nicely when they start identifying where they could make some shifts and get more and better and deeper sleep. And we see that reflected in blood work all the time. Um, so more regulated uh, blood sugar levels. I'll have some people wear the continuous glucose monitors, which is really fun to see like real-time data too with blood sugar mm-hmm. regulation. So over the course, it takes about, I would say two to three weeks to really start seeing a shift after prioritizing sleep itself. Um, but that's, that's a big one. Um, it's just getting solid. Like I have my my women aim for about seven and a half to nine hours of sleep per night. And if they're in a stage of burnout, like I'm aiming for nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm the same. I, I would love, I would love to see every woman get eight. Like I'm, Gosh, I say seven you. because I'm just, I'm just trying to work with Let's people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm like seven to nine. Work with me here. Like, but then you have to factor that in. It's not, okay, lights off in the bed and then your alarm goes off and that's the seven hours. It's like, no, you need to give yourself that time to fall asleep and, you know, things like this as well. But I say seven and nine because I'm just trying to be generous. But in all reality, I would love eight to nine. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what I aim for and that's what I get. And I go to bed at 830 like a grandma to get that. Oh, I'm, I'm with you. And I think it's, I mean, I think you and I have like touched on human design just in like mm-hmm. other inter interactions that we've had together. And it's tricky because I'm a generator. So it's like, I, I have to feel like I have completed everything that I need to complete to feel satisfied to go to bed. <laughs> so I do bring human design into my work with patients too, to understand like what drives them, what you know, what feeling really helps them to feel satisfied and complete at the end of the day. And like sleep quality doesn't start with just like you get in bed and turn the lights off. Like it's 
the practices that you have throughout the day. So like Mm -hmm. getting sunlight as soon as you can in the day. Like I am sitting in front of a window right now because I like, I want to get as much of this morning sunlight as I can in here. Starting your day with a nourishing meal, like within an hour of waking and getting at least 20 grams of protein. But I did like, I'd love for people to get 35 grams of protein within an hour of waking those practices will actually change your hormonal output and that affects your body's recognition of, oh, I'm supposed to be awake and I'm supposed to be asleep at these times. And that will regulate hormones too. Mm -hmm. I, you know, circling back to where you were saying people will come in and they'll say like, oh, you know, my hormones are just a mess. They're this or that. I'm always like, don't, Blame your hormones, your poor hormones. Like it's like shooting the messenger, you know, Like, yes. and I get it because hormones are just so popular, right? Especially for women. It's like, oh, my hormones are a mess. My hormones are a mess. Your hormones are chemical messengers. Yes. Like their job is to go around the body and deliver these little messages. So they're quite literally the messengers. It's like somebody coming to you and telling you bad news and you flipping out on that person you know, and yeah, I, it's, really, a, it's, a, I love that analogy. <laughs> once you wrap your head around that concept, because it's constantly like, what do I do about my hormones? What do I do about my hormones? Why are your hormones acting up? And hormones, I'm sure, obviously are such a hot topic in fertility because yeah. it's like, are you ovulating? Are you producing enough progesterone? All these things. So what are the key areas that you focus on when it comes to hormonal health? I know we've already mm-hmm. talked about some of it, but. Uh, sleep is a foundational piece. Um, my next layer is nutrition. Like before we get into exercise, before we get into supplements, sleep and nutrition really need to be addressed. And it doesn't have to be overnight and it doesn't have to be perfect, but we need to be open to learning about it and nourishing our bodies differently than maybe society has told us all these years of, you know, low fat, low calorie, keto, Mm -hmm. like all all these extremes. It doesn't have to be that way. And, and then we can talk about exercise from there. Like if you're getting enough sleep, now I will allow you to exercise. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise you're walking and that's it. <laughs> yep. You're walking and you can do some yin yoga, but you know, if yeah. you're going to orange theory every single day and mm-hmm. you're only sleeping six and a half hours a night, you're probably not getting enough nutrient density to meet the demands that you're putting on your body in that scenario. And that's creating a situation which a lot of bodies are going to say, "Mm, mm, this is not a good time to get pregnant. Yeah. They don't feel safe and they will literally, your ovulation will shift based on the intensity of your exercise. How much sleep you're getting? Did you travel? Are you under stress? Like, did you travel and there was a time change? Like, because the body is, and actually I would love for you to speak to this because this is a messaging I really try and hit home where I try and say, your body is never out to get you. Your body is always trying to protect you. So if your ovulation keeps kind of yo-yoing and it's never on the same day, it's not your body trying to be like, ha ha. <laughs> your body's trying to protect you because it doesn't believe that this is a good time for baby. Yep. Our bodies are so intelligent and, and sure, there are some ways of communication that our body has that are kind of, you know, ancient (laughs) 
their yes, like the in brain. The way they work, our, you know, our little lizard brain, <laughs> the amygdalas. Um, yep. And and so there are parts of this that I think you know we can feel betrayed by our body, but I think this is where it's very important to actually shift how we view our body and say like, hmm, okay, like I, I actually instruct a lot of my patients and clients to start talking to their body, like open the lines of communication, and this is something that I had to do with all of the health issues that I had in my twenties. And still, even like when something comes up, I come back to and just saying like, you know, get quiet, get centered with your breath and say, okay, body, I see you. I hear you. You've been talking a lot lately. You've been putting a lot of information out into my awareness and it's uncomfortable. And I, you know, I apologize if I, if you feel like I've been ignoring you um, because we don't like discomfort. We want to push it away. And I want to thank you for giving me these signals. And I want to ask, how can I support you differently? And when we get people doing this every single day, like just commit to a couple minutes. It doesn't have to be a whole hour, just a couple minutes. The stuff people come back with is incredible. Like this is a powerful way to tune into your intuition and get answers that you know no piece of lab work could give us on how you need to be supported differently. Right. And it, Everybody pause and like re-listen to that and write that down. That was so, so beautifully said. I bring this into my work later on because obviously with anxiety, it's really hard to trust in the beginning, right? To trust like what your thoughts are, what is your intuition, what's right or wrong. You're second guessing yeah, everything. There's a lot of spiraling. So, there's a lot of spiraling. You're going down that rabbit hole. <laughs> uh, been there. So near the end of our work, you know, when we've released the anxiety or, or at least the chronicness of the anxiety, like the, the bigness of the anxiety that overrides kind of all logic, specifically when in transitioning off medication, um, supplements, I teach my clients because my belief is that same thing, like let's start with diet and lifestyle. Supplements are a piece of the puzzle. They can definitely speed up the process. There's definitely some things we can take symptomatically that are super helpful. But I have, I get a lot of people who stress about the affordability of supplements or mm. am I taking the right supplements? And I'm just like, don't take the supplements. Like you're going to get so far, so far with diet and lifestyle. And then later, maybe you can look at tweaking with supplements. But for my women who do choose to go on a supplement protocol, which for me is just very targeted to their digestive stuff and, and a little bit of adrenal support, um, very foundational. But when we're near the end of the program, I like to see them on it for at least three months. And then we're together for, let's say, four months. And so I'm coaching them on transitioning off. And I'm literally telling them to just listen to their body and coaching them to listen to the body because the body will tell you there is no right or wrong. Like the body will tell you always. And you, it's a, it's like learning a language. It's like, I'm, my family speaks German. I don't speak German. I would love to learn German. I'm not going to learn it overnight. Yeah. And we're not going to learn the language of our body overnight. No, especially when we've been so, so disempowered in the healthcare industry and, yeah. and even just the way that, you know, society sets the expectations of like what we're supposed to be doing and how we're supposed to look like it, it really cuts us off from that communication so early on. And it it will take time for many people. It will take weeks to months. Mm -hmm. So 
sleep, diet, mm-hmm. exercise. What's next? Maybe supplements. Maybe supplements. I, I often have like, you know, what I call it, the core four um, for people who are trying to conceive, which is prenatal because we want to make sure that you have at, at the very least that folic acid on board. Um, the the vast majority of people I work with seem to be vitamin D deficient. So vitamin D is Everybody. really important for, <laughs> for um, you know, healthy ovulation. And there, there's so many steps of the fertility process that involve vitamin D. So I very often have people taking vitamin D, a good quality probiotic, because the microbiome is another piece that is really, really, really important for fertility, like both in the implantation, um, but also even in the production of progesterone in the first trimester. And then a good quality DHA supplement, because DHA Mm -hmm. is one of the omega-3 fatty acids that's really important for fetal brain development. And those are the core four. And then if there's something else going on at, you know, the, the sleep and the nutrition have not addressed yet, you know, someone has PCOS and they have really high testosterone and that's just something genetically that their body does, even though we're doing everything else really well, then I may incorporate some herbs or inositol, um, NAC to help their body with processing that testosterone and helping the ovaries to produce less of it. So there are certainly situations in which I'll do much more customized supplements. And I always check in and just be like, how is it feeling for you to take these? Like if you take them and every time you swallow a pill, you resent the hell out of it, then like, hmm, this is probably not creating a great energetic situation. But if you take your supplements and you feel empowered, then like, great, let's continue as long as we're seeing improvements in, you know, the symptoms and the labs also. So it's targeted. Really, yeah, targeted. That's that's the word I use as well. And um, again, it's just unlearning this conditioning that there's a pill for our ill, right? That is so deeply ingrained in all of us, be that a medical pill or like a pharmaceutical or a nutraceutical, you know, like supplements are not the be it end all. And this is why a lot of people think, oh, this natural stuff doesn't work because they were just randomly picking up supplements and trying supplements that they heard because a friend said this worked for them or whatever. Maybe they follow one of us and we talked about a supplement one time and they thought, oh, I'm going to get that supplement. But you, you have to do the lifestyle stuff. You have to do the dietary stuff. If you're not sleeping, and I know that this is a, a point of a lot of stress and anxiety for my women with stress and anxiety because 50% of them want to sleep and can't sleep, right? And there's a very big difference between not being able to sleep, which again is a symptom of stuff going on inside the body, um, or that you're not prioritizing sleep. Yes. Those are two very different things. So if you are not prioritizing sleep, this is going to sound really harsh, nothing's going to work. If it's that you cannot sleep, then let's figure out why. And those reasons are going to overlap with the fertility stuff, with the anxiety, with whatever your symptoms are. I would put big money down (laughs) that those overlap with why you can't sleep. And so let's get to work on addressing those and the sleep will come. 
Yes, I think it, it's so wild. It's so satisfying to see like when we start getting people's blood sugar balanced and getting their inflammation down yeah. and, and getting their gut health improved, like how much more easily sleep can come because I, and I have been there personally, like I have had periods of time in my life where I prioritize the hell out of sleep and would lie there for hours and be like, Oh my God. And then of course, like you, you spiral. Cause you're like, Oh, I only have X number of hours before my alarm goes off. And like, it just whew, it gets worse. <laughs> and so, so I've been there and I've also been in phases where I didn't prioritize sleep and I had to get really honest with myself about like, what am I doing here? Like, am I really practicing what I preach and what do I need to do to shift this? Because it is one of the, uh, you know, I think people will know that by the end of this, how much we both care about sleep. <laughs> yeah. This podcast can be rebranded sleep. Mm, yeah. <laughs> sleep for fertility and anxiety reduction. Just everyone go that to sleep. <laughs> Just everybody. I actually am going to do a full solo episode on, you know, why you can't sleep and what you can do about it. But then for everyone listening who you're just not prioritizing it, like, I don't really have much to say to that other than, like, prioritize your sleep, you know? Please download the Samuel L. Jackson YouTube video of Go Back to Sleep. <laughs> okay, I have not seen it. It's, I'm going to watch it. So Samuel L. Jackson does the, does the reading of, it's a children's, well, it's a children's book written for adults who, you know, are having trouble with getting their kids to sleep. So it's really just comic relief, but... Sometimes we need comedy. I mean, laughter is medicine yeah. too, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I love that. I'm going to watch it and I'm going to totally put it in the show notes. <laughs> Send it to people who aren't prioritizing sleep, a.k.a. my partner. <laughs> Although, you know, it has been um, studied and proven, it is in research now, that women need more sleep than men. So, I mean, I still think he needs to go to bed earlier, but <laughs> I do need more sleep than he does and like we were saying before you can only lead a horse to water you yeah. can't force him to drink yeah. okay cool can you chat a little bit and then we'll kind of wrap it up but can you talk a little bit and this is such a big topic so I know it'll be surface level but on the implications of gut health in fertility because this is like this drives me bonkers how there's just so there's like no like emphasis at all in the medical community really when it comes to gut health at all and this I mean this is the number one diet lifestyle gut health nutrient deficiency stress and trauma like those are my big like mm -hmm. factors this is what I see across the board for women with anxiety now under those buckets it can be different things yeah. right but with fertility I, I know how important gut health is and it is just not being talked about and drives me bonkers all right, so there's just a lot happening in the gut, for one thing. I mean, it is such an important seat of our immune system, and we absorb our nutrients from the gut, and it houses our microbiome, which has, I, I mean, I think we'll just see in the next decade, like, so much more research come out around the microbiome and, you know, how how it helps in the formation of certain nutrients, because some microbes will actually ferment our food and make vitamins and nutrients mm -hmm. and we produce a lot of our serotonin in the gut and so our neurotransmitters and our mood is affected by this and the the microbiome of the gut does have some correlations with 
the vaginal and the endometrial microbiome <clears throat> as well. And we know that women who, for example, have higher lactobacillus concentrations in the endometrial lining have higher rates of implantation and live birth rates when they go through IVF. So when they do that embryo transfer, um, if they have higher lactobacillus in the endometrial lining inside the uterus, it's not a sterile environment. Like this mm -hmm. microbiome is active and it actually impacts whether or not your body decides to implant this embryo. That's huge. Like the, the amount of information that we're gathering on this, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you can just take a probiotic and call it a day. And, and that's what I see, you know, a lot of issues are like, well, I take a probiotic. I'm like, yeah, but like, what else is going on in there? What else has influenced your gut health? And so, you know, our diet influences it. Like, are we getting enough fiber? Are we being exposed to a ton of pesticides? Or do we have, you know, certain food sensitivities? And not that food sensitivities are root causes, like they are also another symptom. But is, is there something that's keeping a high level of inflammation in the gut or a lack of gut integrity so that inflammation is kind of sneaking in from the gut to the bloodstream and creating more systemic inflammation because that is what the body would consider a stressor and that can also create an environment in which our very intelligent, amazing body says this is not a safe situation to get pregnant in. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot happening in there. And, you know, our society doesn't like to talk about gut health stuff, but how, like, how many of your clients have something going on where they're like either nauseated when they first wake up in the morning or they have reflux or chronic constipation that they think is normal until someone is like, no, you're supposed to poop every day. And they're like, oh, really? I poop every three days, yeah. but no one's talking about it. So I think we have to bring our attention to like, what's what's really normal in terms of gut function and knowing that most people have had some exposure in their lifetime to whether it be a lot of antibiotics for whatever reason to eating food that was sprayed with a ton of pesticides or even chronic stress. Um, all of those can affect the gut microbiome in a negative way. And it, and it takes time to repair um, both the microbiome and the lining of the gut. So, I'm not sure about you, but like I tend to coach people on it, you know, expecting this to take around three to four months to really yeah. see like long-term turnaround. I say three to six. And the only reason I say that is because it depends on the level of anxiety, because if there's a high level of anxiety, there's going to be a very high level of overwhelm and we just will move slower. Yeah. Like, we'll just, I'm a big fan of 1% better a day, baby steps, like, and the babiest of babiest steps if we need, because we're still moving in the right direction. I have, I am not working with her anymore. We finished our work together, but one of my clients who's plant-based, um, she took her six months to get to 90 grams of protein a day. She could yeah. have thrown in the towel and she could have been like, frig this, this is way too hard. I'm never going to get there. And she had those moments and she came to me and I coached her through it, you know, and then she got there. And then when she got there, she was like, holy crap, I feel so good. And it's a little harder on plant-based because you need to, you're limited in your sources because they also need to be from whole food sources. They can't be like Right. That, we can't just be eating like soy isolate all day long. <laughs> no, exactly. So um, that's why I say three to six, but like in theory, 
around three months because you have that cellular turnover yeah. really that's happening every three months, right? So I tend to see things happen in chunks of three, like three months or six months or nine yeah. months or 12 months. Um, and there's a reason for that timeline based on what's happening in the body. Oh, so so interesting because that timeline just happens to overlap with the amount of time that we have to really impact egg quality and the endometrial lining. So okay, that was going to be like my final question. <laughs> like, what would you say for prep time? Yeah, I love to have a minimum of three months. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean that there's nothing we can do if you're coming in going, I have IVF scheduled to start in a month. Yep, there's still a lot of supportive things we can do, but I love a minimum of three months. I love even more when someone knows that they want to start trying in a year mm. because we can be so proactive versus reactive, and that really changes the energy around our approach and that urgency behind it. So three months is that final maturation phase of the eggs in the ovaries. You know, we're born with all the eggs we will ever have, However, we have the most influence in about the last year before those eggs are ovulated, and that's very concentrated within the last three months of them maturing before ovulation. Oh, I didn't know that. Learn something new. I didn't know the year. I, I like I'd heard that, but I didn't realize the exact implication because even with um, cycle stuff, like period stuff, you know, I tell my women like what you're doing today is going to influence your period in two to three months from yeah, now. Yeah. So don't expect to make changes today and your next period to be easy breezy. <laughs> But that's what we think because we're just like immediate gratification, right? It's a human thing. We're like, well, I ate really well this one day and I slept really well for a couple days and I took my supplements and, but then I had a shitty period, you know? Um, yeah, three, so three months is a good expectation to start to see changes in periods because that's, that's when the hormones start to say, okay, we don't have to like send out these crazy messages anymore. We're, we're more balanced, so we can be more balanced as, it, as our whole body is you know, coming into alignment. Um, yeah, they're just being reactive. Yeah. <laughs> the hormones are just reacting to the messages they're getting, and they're like, oh, shit, <laughs> got to go do this, you know, um, which is really kind of a theme that we've been talking about for almost the last hour where we've just been talking about the kind of conditioning and the messaging that we've been getting. And you've said proactive a few times now, and I really try very hard. Like sometimes I get frustrated and I definitely say things in my frustration about the medical community and doctors, but I really try not to demonize them and just look at them as like, they have one specific yeah. role in all of healthcare and they're not the be it and end all and there's other people who support in healthcare. And I just really like to look at it like, okay, they're reactive and their job is to be reactive. And there's situations where we need them to be reactive, like a car accident, injury, like life or death situations. Like there's so many examples of that, but for so many other things like fertility and anxiety and like all these other symptom based labels, symptom based like diagnoses, <laughs> diagnoses, diagnoses, <laughs> mouse, niece, mice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what those need is a proactive approach. And then a reactive approach just makes us feel bad about ourselves. Yeah. Like, oh, I did something wrong or my body is doing something wrong when really we just haven't been taught as a society how to be proactive about our health. 
definitely. And and with the fertility community, you know, it can be it can be challenging. There's already a lot of shame surrounding fertility diagnoses, but you know, when people have been referred for something like IVF and like IVF is an amazing tool. It's a mm-hmm. very valid option for a lot of people. I mean, I consider it to be a medical miracle. And there are limitations. Like IVF, just taking an egg out of someone and mixing it with sperm or injecting a sperm directly into it and putting it back into someone's body doesn't address all of these underlying, you know, unseen blocks that we've talked about for the last hour. So I yeah. also want people to understand that if they've been referred for IVF, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not bad. I think we just need to also be looking at the whole picture and making sure that they are supported on all planes as they go through what is potentially a physically, emotionally, and financially draining procedure. And you can increase the success rate. Is there a percentage by like how much you can increase it? By doing kind of the work you do, yeah, or maybe so not. There, but... we we definitely need more studies on it. But the studies that we have so far on you know approaching from a mind body perspective, improving nutrition, including acupuncture, including mindfulness and meditation, are that we actually see increased rates by up to sixty percent. Wow! And I I would say anecdotally in my practice, like I've, it's probably even higher. Yeah. It's hard to study something that's kind of individualized too. You can't really yeah, do these double-blind placebo control, <laughs> right? Like, um, you know, it, who does who who benefits from only doing one round of IVF? Like, only the patient. So that's yeah. challenging too. Yeah. Oh, so much good information. Okay. Whenever I have a guest on, I like to have them kind of sum up because we talk about so much, right? And I'm very like, just give me three to five steps and I'll execute that and then I'll move on from there. So I just always like to ask to kind of wrap things up in a nice little bow uh, for anybody listening in who is either um, struggling with sub fertility mm-hmm. or is just interested in and curious about or maybe even concerned about their fertility health what would you say are like your top three to five, like these are the first steps that I would suggest to address this? Um, Well, make sure you're sleeping um, or that you're prioritizing (laughs) sleep. And if you have trouble falling asleep, even if you're prioritizing, like please get help from someone who really is an expert in that field and not just prescribing drugs to make someone sleep. Um, And not just like going to like a sleep lab where they scan your brain. Like somebody who can actually look at what's going on yeah, inside your body. A functional then, nutritionist, a functional yeah. medicine doctor. And yeah. and I would say like my next step is, you know, come into this understanding that there may be some level of support that should take place before you start actively trying to conceive. Mm-hmm. So in that level of proactivity that I talk about, that means having some testing done before you start trying to understand, do I have nutrient deficiencies? Do I have a thyroid issue? Is there something that I could spend at least three months really supporting my body with? And the, the third, and I'll, I'll leave it at three just because I could go on, I can have a list of 20, <laughs> um, but the third would be starting to build that relationship with your intuition and the messaging that your body is sending you. Because at the end of the day, Yes, there. You know, you're an anxiety expert. I'm a fertility expert, but 
you, listener, like you are the expert in your own body. Yes. Only you can tell us what your experience is. And so tuning into that will, you know, help you become a better communicator about what's going on in your body. It will help you advocate better for yourself with your providers. And it's probably one of the most valuable things that we could do. Mic drop. (laughs) Uh, A mentor of mine always says you're a person, not a piece of paper. And I just love that because it doesn't matter what a piece of paper says. It doesn't matter what a test says. Like it matters what you're feeling and what your experience is. And love it. Love it. (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much for coming. Tell us like where people can find you. I know you'll send me everything and I'll link it in the show notes. Do you have any like freebies, any free classes? Like give us that information. I sure do. So for my Arizona in-state patients, um, my website is Dr. Katie Rose. For anyone who is outside the state of Arizona, USA, um, you can go to brilliantfertility.com. I do have a freebie. It's called um, Fertility Secrets Uncovered. It's a three-day video training. And then I also run free workshops from time to time. So if you follow me on Instagram at Dr. Katie Rose, I always share like what my upcoming offerings are. And I spend the most time on Instagram out of all the social media outlets. So if you shoot me a DM, like it's a real human being, not a bot behind that. So. Um, So yeah, that's where people can find me. Amazing. Thank you. I will link all of those in the show notes. I hope that this was inspiring and empowering and insightful for everybody listening in. And thank you again so much, Katie, for coming on. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. And that is a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I have one quick favor to ask you before you go. If you love today's episode, I would so appreciate if you left a review on whatever podcast platform you are listening to right now. My goal with this podcast is to reach as many people as possible to spread awareness that anxiety is not this incurable disease. It's not something we just have to live with. It's definitely not just part of your personality, and there are body-based imbalances that need to be addressed in order to truly be free from chronic anxiety. With awareness comes action, and the more people this podcast can reach, the less people will struggle with anxiety. And positive reviews are the number one way to help new people discover the show. You are the best. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you so, so, so much. One last thing. My legal medical disclaimer. The Breaking Up With Anxiety podcast with me, Taylor Jandro, is for general information and educational purposes only. And the advice and recommendations I give or my guests give throughout the episodes do not replace medical advice. The consumption of this podcast does not qualify as a practitioner-client relationship with me, and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. 
yes, I am a nutritionist, but I am not your nutritionist. So please discuss any changes with your primary healthcare provider. Okay, that's it. Until the next episode, bye for now.